Hey, founders, welcome back to another episode of The Gab Lab. This is a show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, it's really there to help you build your bottom line as well. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and our episode champion today are very good friends over at Community Future Sunrise. They are a team in Southeast Saskatchewan that are helping founders not only build their business, but helping them to nail their numbers too. Now, speaking of numbers, that's what this episode is all about today. We are getting into the nitty gritty of equity financing. And our Nail the Number Pro today is none other. We've got the best for you, Lori Demetrician. She is the Chief of Equity Investment at PIC Investment Group. So with that being said, you do not want to miss this episode. Please go grab a coffee and I will see you in the lab. Well, hello and welcome to the Gab Lab, Lori. Hello, how are you today? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Spring is in the air. Happy to be here. So happy that you're here. Really excited to actually dig into the topic of equity, equity financing. I know for some founders out there, that term can seem a little overwhelming and they don't know where to start and they think it's just for big business or for innovative businesses, tech-based businesses. So really, really happy that you're here to share some, shed some light on the topic. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm curious. We're, we're coming off a weekend. I actually read an article in, um, I'm not going to say in the paper, I read an article online the other day that was talking a little bit about um, accessing capital, and this was a specific startup that had uh, that had come from a, um, uh, I guess, an appointment with a banker, and it dawned on me as she was expressing her discontent with the process of being able to access debt financing. And I know we're talking all about equity financing, yeah. but it was interesting because I feel like we are living in an ecosystem right now that it's almost the expectation that people are able to access funding. It's almost like this sense of entitlement that, you know, banks are supposed to lend and credit cards are supposed to give. And, you know, we're supposed to get access, more access to, to money um, yeah. over and over. And I'm curious when we're talking about equity financing, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about what it is in a moment, but right. as an equity financier, do you find that there's an expectation out there of founders that it's easy to tap into or no? Uh, you know, honestly, I think it depends on the stage that the entrepreneur is in, uh, the stage of their business. I think there's a lot of capital out there right now, um, you know, thanks to some recent big wins from, you know, in the tech sector, like you've talked about, right? Like Verifin, I think, sold to NASDAQ for, you know, $2.7 billion. So there's this, this big, glamorous sort of um, haze around equity financing right now. But what we do seem to hear is that, you know, as I said, it really depends on what stage the entrepreneur is at. Um, I think if you're, you know, if you've got good EBITDA, good growth potential, I think, you know, it should be not easy, but it should be a lot, uh, I guess, a lot easier to find equity financing than it would be for an early stage startup with, um, you know, just getting going, uh, trying to convince investors to invest in their their company, I think it's it's a little bit harder at the earlier stage, um, you know, spot versus someone who has an established business, has a good track record, has solid EBITDA. You know, so again, it's it's different depending on where you're at. So let's we'll circle back to EBITDA in just yeah. a moment because I know there's probably a ton of founders out there that are wondering what the heck is EBITDA, but. <laughs> Before we get into that, let's just um, let's just clarify exactly what equity financing yeah. for the founders listening in. How do you how do you define equity specifically? Um, so basically, I define equity as um, like equity financing is the the process of raising capital through selling shares. You know, it's kind of as simple as that. So you've got debt, which you're borrowing money. You have equity where you're actually selling pieces, a piece of your business to raise money. So you bring up a good point there with respect to maybe some of the people listening in are sole proprietorships and sole proprietorships do not have shares. 
Whereas incorporated businesses, this is where we start to get into share structures. Exactly. So you're saying that equity is where you are selling a share in exchange for money coming in. So the only ones that can really access equity financing are businesses who have set up an incorporated company. Yes, I, I guess I would have to say yes, but you'd have to talk to your accountant and lawyer and not not talk to me on that because I'm okay. not sure with the sole proprietorship. I'm sure there's some way you can do it, but you know, I'm where we tend to play is definitely, you know, with respect to incorporated companies or okay. limited partnerships where you're dealing with units. Um, you know, again, we're we're dealing with sort of um, you know, companies that that have good growth potential too as well. That's okay. kind of what gets us interested. Okay. So who, where do you access equity financing? Who is an equity financier? Where would people go? What does that look like? I know there's different types of equity financing. So maybe yeah. kind of laying the, the landscape for us. Okay. So basically how it works is, um, you know, just to be brief, I guess, but you have normally what companies will do is they'll start with love money. So that is family and friends. Usually if they have an idea, they want to get this business going, um, you know, usually they'll see family and, or they'll go to family and friends to uh, raise financing. Uh, there's also a group of accredited investors um, and I'll get into the definition of accredited investors a little bit later, but there's a, a group of investors called the angel investors. And what angel investors are is they're high net worth accredited investors. So they basically have um, certain criteria such as, I think, again, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, You'll have to check with the Securities Commission, but I think they're usually their um, salaries are, I think, 300,000 and more, and they have um, significant assets too as well. So there's sort of a a system whereby if you're going to invest in a company, there's sort of um, two, a couple ways you can do that. It's through getting an exemption through the Securities Commission by declaring that you're a friend or a family. Um, So anyone can invest as long as they're a friend or a family of the entrepreneur. But then there's also the other group where you have um, uh, angel investors, you have um, venture capitalists, you have uh, private equity too as well. Um, And they usually fall, well, pretty much most of the time they will fall under that like under the sort of accredited investor definition too. And so if we're looking at a, a, a time frame of where people would turn, where founders would turn and who they would turn to, what I'm hearing is they would first turn to friends and family. Usually, and, that's usually the, okay, yeah. For yeah. And one. I guess I should have talked about debt in there too, but you know, you're going to probably try your banker. Um, the, the hardest part usually with an early stage company is it's tough because you have no track record. You probably don't have much right. for assets in the company. So it's a little bit harder to get that loan. Um, we do tell people when they're in the early stage to make sure that you also are paying attention to the different government programs out there to help because there's lots of government support programs out there that can help you, such as IRAP. Um, you know, there's there's uh, loans-based government programs there, community futures, you know, there's just, just a whole, whole support network. So it, you know, as I said, it starts with sort of the love money, friends and family, then usually you might be able to get a, a little bit of a loan. And then you often, like there's a group of these angel investors um, where we would fall ourselves under a different definition in that we're more of a super angel, we're actually a family office. So there's also family offices out there um, where people are investing their own money into businesses. Then you also have the potential venture capital groups. And the, the difference between venture capital and an angel investor is that venture capital uses other people's money. So what they'll do is they'll raise funds. So they may have, you know, you've got Westcap, PFM, you've got a couple others here in Saskatchewan. Um, where they've raised funds and then they go out and invest in companies versus an angel investor is someone like my boss who is basically using his own funds to invest in a company. Okay. And so if, uh, so going back to the beginning, and I know you've talked a little bit about debt, so I'm going to introduce it here for everybody that's watching. So debt, as you mentioned, is where you are, um, you're accessing a loan that 
typically you need to repay. And in that process yeah. of making those principal payments, they're called, right? They're attaching interest on yes. it. And, yeah. you know, it, it, when I think about um, how many founders start out, you're right. I think it seems like first everybody drains their savings, then they drain their RRSPs, then they yeah. start using some credit card money, then they go to the love yes. money. And that yeah. I, I didn't know that friends and family needed to get an exemption. Ideally, I'm wondering how many actually. It <laughs> depends, you know, again, that. it's you know, we're talking about incorporated companies. Too. Right. So, okay. you know, yeah. So, I mean, that's okay. usually your lawyer. Yeah. Whenever you're like, if you're raising funds and you have a share structure, um, you know, normally the lawyers would make sure that all that paperwork is done correctly. It's done. So, okay. Yeah. There's a good be signing there. lots of things. So yeah. as I said, always make sure you have a good lawyer and a good accountant when you're starting out. Okay. I want to come back to a question on the lawyer yeah. here in a second, but okay. So then uh, then we've got the love money. And so where you're making the distinction is that the, the loans are, they're attached to interest and principal yes. repayments. And the, you have to repay. And yeah. you have to repay. The equity, and I know yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about this yeah. when you need to get out, because I think that are what you need to know out of the, um, the equity financing, because I think a lot of founders look at equity sometimes potentially as free money because they don't necessarily in their head, they can't wrap their head around, well, I don't really have to repay this. This is just money in and they're getting a share in exchange yeah. for the money they're putting in. And I know there's a, <laughs> that's that's definitely not how this works. So don't, yes. don't get too excited yet. You still have to get the, exactly. the equity uh, founder out. Yeah. And so then just to clarify, so let's say, yeah. you know, we're in business for a couple of years and let's say our, you know, our revenues are, I don't know, I'm going to throw out maybe 250, 500,000. There's definitely some growth potential happening now. You've probably had, the founders have had access to a couple of loans, those early startup loans. And like you said, some of the government programs or NGN programs, uh, NGO programs out there, like the Futurepreneurs, the Community Futures, one of our sponsors. Um, and they've been able to access that and have been doing a really good job at getting that money yeah. repaid. And now yeah. there's an opportunity to grow. Maybe it's expanding outside of the uh, out of the, the the province. Maybe it's introducing a new product or service. And right. so now they're starting to entertain the idea of equity financing. And so now you've mentioned angels or super angels, as you've talked about in 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 your organization, as you are. When we talk about high net worth individuals, would you recommend a founder? look to find their angel, their local angel network first? Or would you suggest that potentially they start, you know, making introductions to if they know high net worth individuals? What's what's the right approach in that next stage looking for that equity piece? Right. I think, you know, if you're if you're wanting to learn more about it, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of different angel groups across Canada. Um, you know, I used to be part of a group called the Saskatchewan Capital Network, which was a group of angel investors here in the province. And what's happened um, is Valhalla Angels has um, basically SCN folded into Valhalla Angels. So there is an angel group here in Saskatchewan that's functioning. So I would, you know, recommend that someone does contact Evelyn Serta is the executive director of, of the Saskatchewan chapter. And, you know, I definitely recommend that they start, you know, um, you know, talking to the angel groups, you know, I think it's critical that you get an investor that can add value to your business. So it's not just money that investors provide. Investors provide access to their networks. They provide um, mentorship. Often angel investors are um, successful business people, uh, you know, men or women who have, have, you know, been there, done that. Um, you know, we, we always say that you always sort of really need to be careful because it's, it's not just money, as you said, it's a relationship and angels look at entrepreneurs. And the reason we invest is that we want to see the company grow and we'll usually do anything we can. We might take a board seat, um, you know, we might have have control over certain decisions, um, but we just want to be there, help the company grow. But we do want to get out too, as well. So we do want to, um, 
make money on our investment too. So one of the most critical things is that entrepreneurs need to make sure that they have the right investors and that they have people that really understand their industry or you know they feel that they can add value in some other way. I think that's absolutely critical because investors are putting their money in but they do expect to get a return on the back end too as well. And often what we you know when we go in, you know, we look at probably 5 to 7 years we would like to have an exit. So that's right off the bat in the beginning that's something that we will talk to the entrepreneur about and we just have to make sure that we're aligned because if we're investing in a, in an entrepreneur and that entrepreneur just wants to you know take our money you know do whatever they want you know grow their own business and then just have us stay there forever that doesn't make sense you know we need to get a return yeah. um, you know, with respect to our investment too, as well. So we always want to make it clear that, you know, we do want to know what the entrepreneur's exit strategy is, um, you know, and that way then we can ascertain whether or not it's a good investment opportunity for us. I think that's a really important comment, um, especially for founders where this is their first foray into equity investment, because yeah. most founders don't even know their exit strategy. They don't even know what they're building, right? They've, yeah. they've started something that they love and they're like, okay, well, there's some traction and let's just keep going with it. And um, that's probably such a valuable gift, regardless of them being able to access the, the, the funding or not, to actually be asked the question, what's your exit? How do yeah. we get out? What are you building? Right. And really kind of holding them accountable to, to figuring out, uh, figuring out the answers there. Well, let's exit is the perfect way, perfect segment uh, for us to, um, to close this part off of our, um, our episode all about equity financing. But let's, as we move into part two, everybody, please come back and join us founders for part two, because I want to circle back on uh, what Lori's talking here about EBITDA growth, and really, how do we now get an equity, uh, equity financier out of the business? What are they looking for? And how do we make sure they're happy as we, uh, as we build our business as well? All right. Thanks, Lori, for part one here. So appreciate you being here. We'll see you back in here for part two. We'll see you in a bit. Bye for now. Okay, welcome back, founders. We are here with Lori Demetrician. We're here for part two of uh, this whole conversation about equity financing, equity capital. And in part two, what we actually want to dig into here a little bit, it's all these nuances of equity that I think a lot of founders really haven't tapped into. And let's just kind of pick up where you left off in part one, because there was Many important things there, I think, that maybe we can explore a little bit. Um, first of all, let's actually talk a little bit about EBITDA, EBIT, as, as some people refer to it, just so that founders who are listening are actually clear what that is and why we're looking to strengthen that and why an equity partner, equity uh, financier would want to see a, a strong EBIT there. Okay, I'm not an accountant, so I'm going to tell you that right off the bat. So anything I say could be incorrect uh, when it comes to accounting. Uh, anyway, I know enough to be dangerous. But what we look at, and again, it, it sort of depends on the stage of the company, but EBITDA is earning before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So, you know, basically we want to see a company, um, again, if we're putting a, a larger check size in, um, you know, we definitely want to see um, fairly decent EBITDA and we want to see that ability for that EBITDA to grow over the period of time that our investment um, is in there too as well. Um, you know, often, again, it depends on the company um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about valuation after, um, but, you know, a company with good, strong growth potential is something that we definitely, you know, are looking for. Because as we said, you know, we're putting our investment in, but we want to get a good rate of return on the back end. So, you know, sometimes that a company with good EBITDA, we're investing um, in there, what can happen is the company can uh, make div, uh, distributions or dividends back to investors and entrepreneurs too. Mm -hmm. So that's always a, a good home run. Um, and it is a good way for us to get some of our investment back sort of in the earlier days too as well. 
before there's an exit event. So just to, because um, I just want to, I want to review this point with founders listening in because, Lori, we've known each other for a while now and, and um, for many years, I have personally been on a soapbox, you know, shouting out with my megaphone, like, please profit in business, please profit in business, right? Yes, we, we, I agree. Too many have been just barely yeah. breaking even and, you know, yeah. proud of it. And yes, definitely break even for sure, you know, better than the, better than the, the alternatives. But um, usually those break evens do not include a fair market owner's salary, right? Like they, it, again, they're, they're, they approach business from this, this place of um, a small business owner starting up and I'm supposed to bootstrap and they're not accounting for all the true expenses. And then when we get an yeah. equity financier or an accountant or an evaluator that comes in to look at the financial health of the business, they see all these missed expenses, they add them, and then all of a sudden, our net profit starts to diminish again. So uh, EBITDA, sometimes it, I always look at it as this is net profit before the taxes, before the amortization, yeah. before the depreciation. So yeah. another huge incentive to actually strengthen that number, not at the cost of people, not at the cost of planet, not at the cost of purpose, but to have a healthy business. So now, once we have that healthy business, now we're able to attract potentially equity financiers. Can I say an equity partner? Would that make sense? Yeah, or is that that definitely. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So now we've got that opportunity where they might be interested, but now we're also talking about growth because mm -hmm. they need to, this isn't just about here, get, you know, put your money in and, and watch us do really well, right? With our business. Right. But talk about growth a little bit. When you say growth, Ideally, what does growth look like? How, how, would, how would you define growth for a business so a founder can wrap their head around that? Ah, that's a great question. And again, like I think it's almost on a case-by-case -case basis, right? I think it depends on what industry you're in. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, talking about EBITDA, we've seen the tech industry where they've got that ability for um, you know, massive growth through sort of SaaS models too as well. So they've got super fast growth, right? Where we've seen some companies that are maybe doubling every year. You know, they have that ability to double every year. So that's really good growth. Um, you know, the stuff, or not the stuff, but the companies that, that we tend to see, um, you know, again, I would even say in the first couple years, I would say, you know, probably... 25 to 50% is really good growth too growth. as well. But again, it just sort of depends on, on where that company's at. And they're like, are, you, are you referring to top line growth or are you referring? Sorry, I was to referring line? to top line growth. Top line growth. Um, okay. And again, the challenge with bottom line growth in early stage companies is that often it takes a couple of years to actually get that positive EBITDA. Um, but we, in our portfolio right now, actually um, one of the, well, it is the best um, investment we've made from a return basis is a company that just consistently increases their EBITDA, right? They're just in this industry that, you know, appears to be recession proof, um, you know, and we're, we've got at least two times, well, we've got more than two times, we're probably on three times our investment back over the past, you know, kind of eight years just through um, distributions from this company too, right? So, so I think you always want to try and create that profitable business, but I like you hear the same thing. It's harder in tech because a lot of that sort of growth goes back into R and D, um, too as well. So, you know, it, it's harder on, from a bottom line basis, but, you know, at the end of the day, building a profitable business, I mean, that to me, that's the goal, you know, no matter what business you're in. Ideally, ideally, hopefully for every founder listening there, right? This isn't, this isn't a job that you're building for yourself. It is ideally a business that's healthy. Yeah. So um, when I think about uh, what you're saying there with respect to growth, we've got the top line sales that are coming in. We've got that net profit that continues to remain healthy. You actually mentioned something about earning, I think you said eight times the investment that you initially put in through distributions. Distributions are also- I think it was three times. Three, three times, four sorry. Times. Okay. Yeah, eight, that's okay. Eight would be if great. it was eight, hopefully, hopefully in another eight years, it'll be eight. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Uh, um, 
Yeah, wouldn't that be lovely? I yeah. and, and and some do pay off, right? And they pay yeah. off quite quickly. Yeah. But when you say distributions, you're referring to dividends, right? Where these could be paid yeah. quarterly yeah. or annually, whatever yeah. that so, looks like. Yeah. And so in addition to that dividend, then your equity is, is still being held in that company. Yeah. Still yeah. holding on to the same amount of shares. Yeah. And so then my big question. Yeah. How do you get an equity partner out? How do they exit oh, yeah. from the business? So if we were going to take, for example, you, right. you come in at a business that's worth 500,000, let's yeah. just say you put a hundred thousand dollars of equity into the yeah. business, right? That yeah. if the business worth is worth 500,000 and you're putting in a hundred thousand, to me, that sounds like you've got at least 20% mm -hmm. ownership of the business. Yeah. Yep. And so now the question becomes, let's say you're in there for five, 10 years. Maybe that's another question. How long do you typically stay in? Let's say yeah. it's 10 years. And now how do you get out? Let's let's do the right. eye opener for founders on this one. Okay, sounds good. Okay, and there's, yeah, there's many different ways that, that uh, we can get out. But usually, as I said, we like to have that conversation in the beginning. Um, you know, so what we will do... Um, you know, normally uh, entrepreneurs will look at, there's a couple different ways to get out. Number one is the entrepreneur can buy back um, our shares at a premium, right? So we end up getting, um, you know, our rate of return on them. So that's, that's one option. Number two is an acquisition. So someone else buys the business, um, you know, and normally that's like for the entrepreneurs that we see, um, right now that are really looking for, you know, kind of big, big, high growth. Normally acquisition is, is usually the number one exit strategy that they've got, that you hope that someone's going to come in and buy the business. Um, the third uh, IPO, uh, you know, in the past, uh, public offering is something that, you know, we, we didn't really see a lot of Canadian companies um, going that route, but it's been interesting because just in the last couple months, we're seeing a little bit more of it too and companies you know in healthcare uh, healthcare is a hot sector right now too so we are seeing some more public offerings in the canadian landscape normally in the us um, you know that that's an option that a lot of the you know tech companies and and other companies will go but yeah so that's basically there's kind of you know three ways to get out so when you talk about that first way where the uh, yeah. the investor gets their money out at a premium yeah. with a lift yeah. Is that negotiated in those early days too? What that lift would be, or is it based yeah. on the performance of the company? It can go either way. Um, what we tend to do is we do like to negotiate that off the beginning, like at the beginning. And so okay. what we'll do is when we negotiate sort of a term sheet with our entrepreneurs, we'll often put a clause in there that we'll want to go into the shareholders agreement where, um, you know, there's, there's, we've got that at the, you know, at eight years time like in eight years time from when we invested that um you know maybe the entrepreneur has the ability to buy the company back at uh we usually we usually like greg likes to put uh, a formula in there too so the formula might be eight times ebitda right at this certain point in time so there's a lot of different ways you can do it um you know the the uh, investors can also put their shares. So basically say, okay, at eight years time, um, entrepreneur, you're going to buy back, the company's going to buy back our shares at this price if we so choose. So there's, there's just so many ways you can do it. Um, or it just happens organically, right? The entrepreneur approaches the investor and says, okay, you know, I've been at this for eight years. Do you want, um, do you want to sell your shares? So, you know, there's, again, it's, it gets kind of complicated. Um, but a lot of it sort of a lot of this is covered in the shareholders agreement that's negotiated between the investors and the entrepreneur. So there's, that's almost a, a guideline for how, you know, how the process goes. And again, it's case by case, depending on the entrepreneur and the investor. So I'm hearing lots of flexibility, unlike debt. Lots of flexibility. This is the term. This is when you repay. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, it's yeah. going on your credit bureau. We're coming after you, right? We're yeah. calling the loan. Uh, that we're typically not going to see from an equity partner. There's a lot yeah. of, uh, it's a partnership, right? Because you're both in it to win it, right? Like really yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, but I, what I'm hearing here is that the, the equity partner 
um, and they might be called an angel, but they're still looking. This is an investment. It is yeah. still about making money. We would like to get a return. Yeah. And yeah. every founder, really, your business should be an investment too, right? Like they yeah. should be looking at their business as an investment, not as, you know, something that they're super passionate about and want, want to make the world a better place because of it. Yes, but you still need to be making that money. Yeah. Um, just a question on due diligence, because I think this hits yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs too, out of surprise going, what is this whole process? I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting this. I thought you'd put money in the business and everything would be, you know, hunky-dory yeah. and easy. But tell us a little bit about what due diligence is and what that process might look like, what, what a founder should be aware of there. Okay. So, you know, and with respect to due diligence, we see a lot of different investors take different approaches um, some do extensive due diligence and some do little due diligence because maybe they know the entrepreneur and they just want to support them. Um, but basically due diligence is the process by which the investors want to learn everything we possibly can about the investment opportunity and the entrepreneur. When we invest, we invest number one in people. So we're looking for entrepreneurs that are coachable, um, that are persistent, that you know, are growth oriented, um, that will work well with others, you know, those are things that we want to see. And so what we're going to do with respect to a due diligence process, and again, I'm just talking about ourselves is that we're going to try and get to know that entrepreneur. Um, so it is a little bit harder with us to, you know, if you cold call us, we don't have any connections. Um, it's going to be a harder go than it would be if, if we know someone that knows you and your business, or we know you and your business um, if we have some expertise but the one thing I always say to entrepreneurs is due diligence will take probably at least two or three times the amount of time that you think it's going to take so we always recommend people like at a minimum start your due diligence six months before you need that investment right because there's nothing worse than you know someone knocking on your door and saying look I need money I've got this bill due you know and we're like well we can't help you you know, it doesn't matter how good your business is, like if you have, if you need the money tomorrow, you know, that's, that's, we're not the right people for you to um, be uh, talking to. We're really looking for a partnership too. We want to do everything we can to help your company grow. And we're very active and hands-on. So literally with due diligence, you got to start minimum of six months, I'd even say a year before just to make sure, um, you know, you really want to um, tell your story. It's critical that you research the potential investors you're going after, and that you, you know, tell a story so that they're, they understand what the problem and the opportunity is. I think that's critical. So what often happens with us is the entrepreneur will start with a pitch deck, so they'll put together a pitch deck that, you know, talks about um, the opportunity, the problem they're solving, um, talks about themselves and their experience and how they're going to help solve this problem, talks a little bit about the market. Like really, honestly, it's, it's kind of a mini business plan in a way, like it, you know, gives a little bit on financials. Um, what you're trying to do is just to get that entrepreneur interested. And then the next process sort of after you kind of send your pitch deck out is to do a call with the investor. And usually then you run through the pitch deck, um, the investor asks questions, and then the investor decides whether or not they want to go further into due diligence. If the investor does want to go further into due diligence, what we normally like to see is like a Dropbox or a OneHub or whatever, but just a list of all of your um, sort of essential business documentation. So we want to see corporate structure. We want to see your bylaws, your incorporation certificate. We want to see pretty much everything. Um, same thing in terms of the people. We want to see your team. We want to make sure that, you know, um, you've got a good team in place with, you know, financial expertise, marketing expertise, sales expertise, operations expertise. So it's kind of critical. We want to see it all in that regard. Um, we want to see your operations plan. We want to see your growth strategy. 
Uh, we want to see, as I said, financials will ask for probably three years past financials and then probably three to five years projected to as well. So it's a lot of detail, you know, and that's why we say like it's, you know, it's really important that you're prepared before you knock on the investor's door and that you make sure you really understand who that investor is and you're not wasting your time too as well right by making sure that that investor actually invests in your industry too because sometimes that can happen too right so you just you're interviewing the investor as much as the investor is interviewing you Oh, okay. I love that. Um, and I want to come back to that in a moment because I've had, I've received um, uh, contradictory advice on that piece. So I'm, I'm curious about that. But before we move on, what I love about what you've just said is at the beginning of this conversation, it sounded like you were talking about many of the soft skills, right? How is this person yeah. to work with and are they coachable? And, Definitely. and that sounds, yes, it's important. It sounds quite easy. Yeah. But yeah. now the list that you just ran through, this is like the, this is like, behind the curtain, under the hood, under the, exactly like, everything, yeah. right? You pull out yeah. all yeah. the dirt and, yeah. um, and all the good stuff too. I shouldn't just say dirt, but you're yeah. not hiding the, you, the founder can't hide anything. No. Uh, and there's uh, nothing where we want honesty, right? Like if, you know, you've oh, had okay. some situation, please let us know. Cause we don't want to find oh, that out for someone else. So yeah. important, but, but yeah. what a great, what a great exercise for any founder to do regardless Right. We yeah. should all know this. This should all be stuff that's ready at the quick, you know, yeah. um, for us to know in terms of how to manage our business. So uh, yeah. just so, so valuable. Um, one question before I go back into the, the, the interviewing piece, a non-disclosure agreement. I've, I've heard different things on an NDA as well. And I know a lot of founders out there, oh, I don't want to share my information. They have access to everything. What is your take on a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, where do you sit with that? Uh, you know, it, it depends. Like, honestly, it depends on the company. Um, you know, a lot of people, as you said, have different, like some don't, some investors just say, look, I'm not signing an NDA, right, at all. Just because like, you know, our business is looking at a whole bunch of different companies. And so like, we've got a liability, if something happens, you know, inadvertently, and you know, you just never know, right? So there's that risk especially when you're doing this all day long for years and years and years. Yeah. But that having been said, you know, what we do always say is, look, we respect confidentiality. We wouldn't be in business if we didn't. No one's going to want to take our money, um, you know, for out there blabbing about what's going on. So, you know, again, you know, with respect to that, but honestly, if I was an entrepreneur, I would get an MDA signed. Like I, I definitely, from the entrepreneur side, if nothing else, it kind of alerts uh, everyone to the, you know, idea that, look, you got to be careful, right? Like this is, this is important. This is someone's business. You have to be careful. Now, that being said, we do see so many different templates, um, you know, with respect to NDAs. And so we've kind of gotten to the point where instead of going back and forth and having lawyers argue, we'll just use our template. We'll just say, hey, you know, are you open to using our template? Um, and then usually, you know, for us time, like we're not going to go likely beyond two years, you know, unless it's some massive, you know, company type thing, and we have no choice. Um, but if we are signing it, yeah, we're fairly careful on what we're signing, because there's some bad ones out there, definitely. Okay. And so talking about signing and contracts, when we look at NDAs, and even potentially term sheets, if it gets as far as actually putting yeah. together that yeah. term sheet, the, uh, the, the financial expense of that, where does that typically sit? Does that sit with an angel investor to pull all of that together? Is that the financial obligation of a founder to pull all of that together and the legal fees attached to it? Okay. So again, it depends. Okay. Right? So NDAs, okay. I would say probably the entrepreneur, like if they want to use their own NDA, um, then yeah, the investor is not going to pay for your NDA. Um, so kind of keep that in the back of the mind, at back of your mind that you have to have sort of that budget for legal expenses with respect to term sheets. Again, um, we've done different things on term sheets. So we've got some where um, both sides each pay their own individual expenses. And then, you know, many of ours, what we'll do is we'll put a maximum amount where the company has to pay our legal expenses up to a certain um, dollar value too. So we've done that, especially with the earlier stage, we tend to at least put a dollar value in there just because they are very risky, right? 
Um, so that is something that, that we've done. Um, but again, it just, it depends on the, like it's a negotiation, right? So it just depends on what kind of, a, you know, what kind of bargaining power you have. So it sounds like having that conversation up front, right? A founder just having the conversation with the angel or the, the equity yeah. partner to say, what are your expectations in this space so that it can be budgeted? And then I would imagine too, we would see it in a, in a cash flow somewhere, right? Yeah. As, as one of Absolutely. the expenses that they're going to be budgeting for. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So here's the question I have for equity partners and due diligence. And as a founder, as you mentioned in part one, there's so much more than just money at stake here. Mm -hmm. There's a relationship, yeah. there's networks, there's expertise, there's mentorship, there's coaching, right? It, this is really somebody yeah. that it, it's, a, it's beyond the money, which is one of the huge advantages to, to, uh, to equity. Um, so what, and I don't want to use the word responsibility because I've heard from some angels where they're like, I, I don't want any questions asked of me. They, they really have no rights. I'm giving them money. You know, there's no expectation. Yeah. Yeah. What's your take on that? Should should a founder really be doing their own due diligence on these equity partners in terms of, like you said, what industry do they explore? Yeah. You know, where have they invested in the past? What does it look like in the past? What's happened with the business? But what's your take? Because you don't want to insult an equity partner either in those early discussions. It's, it seems like a sensitive kind of topic. Yeah. You know, I if I was an entrepreneur, I would definitely want to get the right investor at the table because I think, you know, if you have someone that has the expertise, that has the connections, that's going to, you know, support you in the ups and the downs. And, you know, there's in business, there's as many downs as there are ups, I think, too. So, you know, yeah, like it's kind of like it's like a, a almost like a marriage in a way. Right. Because you're going to be spending so much time with these people. Um, but again, it does depend on, like you said, some investors just sprinkle right? They're just going to sprinkle a little bit of money. It's, it's almost like, you know, betting just to see whether or not, um, you know, that that company is going to hit the jackpot. So there's, it just, it really depends kind of on what you're looking for. But if you are looking for an investor that's, that you want sort of that mentorship and that coaching, then I think absolutely it's critical that you get the right one. And you're going to be saving yourself a lot of time because you've got to be prepared. Like when you're raising money, there's going to be a lot of people saying no, right? So, you know, it's kind of like the more, the more time you spend up front trying to, you know, research out, you know, what does this investor, what industries does this investor invest in? What is their check size? Um, the other question that I would always ask if I was an entrepreneur would be, do you do follow-on rounds? I think that's a critical thing too, as well, because often, What'll happen is, um, you know, an entrepreneur may not hit their projections. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone hit their projections. <laughs> and so you're going to go through a, a time where you're cash strapped, right? And you're kind of reaching out to your investors to say, hey, you know, need some help here. Um, you know, so in those types of conversations, you want to make sure that you've got investors that are writing that second check. You know, and it's not just one check that they're writing. So, you know, it depends, right? It kind of depends on what the entrepreneur is looking for. But that's such a that's such an, a valuable point that you bring up with having that discussion before, right? In terms of the the follow up rounds, as you mentioned, or that ex access to capital in the event that the milestones aren't met. Unlike venture capital, which we won't go into right now because I don't think our audience is really in that space. It's a whole other episode, but that's really the the space that angels play in, isn't it? Is really there to help that business owner, you Definitely. know, build, grow the business, but seeing it as an investment at the same time. That win, -win yeah. story. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Well, I think you know I've kept you um, I've kept you longer than anticipated for phase two. Would you be open to just coming back for our part three to just talk about some of the pros and cons and maybe potentially how um, how equity might work with debt or not if there's any challenges there. So we'll keep that one short because you've given us uh, so much here, but thank you, Lori and founders. We'll see you back in here for part three, where we'll get into the pros and cons of looking at equity financing. All right. See you in a bit. Awesome. Thank you.
All right. Welcome back, founders. We're here for part three of Better Understanding Equity Financing. We're joined with our, uh, we're joined by our Nail the Numbers Pro, Lori Demetrician. Welcome back, Lori. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm all tongue-tied, tongue-tied and twisted. Um, we are talking all about pros and cons of equity financing. And, and before we get into that, we've had an opportunity just to discuss this a little bit. The entire episode, we've been focused on talking about kind of the future of the business and the future opportunity mm. of the business and growth. Yeah. And uh, this is going to sound cliche and redundant. And of course, we've gone through a year unlike any other in history. Right. And um, let's talk about the current state of many businesses right now. And if you were to be approached by a business that's been operating for, let's just say, five years, but now has gone through this global pandemic, what are some of the flags for you or what are some of the things that when you're looking at the scope of the business and the owner that you would just kind of be very resistant to, to, to getting engaged? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a great question. Very difficult to answer. Um, I would have to say that the first thing we're going to do if someone's coming to us you know, and, and they're in a cash crunch, um, you know, we're, we are going to look at the future. We are going to see, okay, what's the growth potential? Why are they in this cash crunch? You know, is it COVID related? Is it, you know, what is the reason sort of for the situation they're in? But what we would do is, is, you know, again, we'd have to really see good growth. We'd have to see, you know, assets. We'd have to see um, just that ability for the entrepreneur to bounce back. And then what we would do with respect to our investment dollars is we want to make sure that our investment dollars are going to be used for growth opportunities. So, you know, again, it's tough for us to just come in. We're probably not going to take your debt out. That's, you know, not really why we're there. We want to put money into the business to help the business grow. So we'll be very specific on our sources and uses or sorry, our uses of funds that we're putting in. So we'd say, you know, working capital, we would say buying equipment, um, you know, a whole bunch of different things. But again, you know, if you're just looking for someone to take your debt out, you're going to have a hard time um, getting a, an equity investor sort of interested in doing that. So thank you for that. I think that's a, a really important point for a lot of founders to hear right now, because I know many business owners are, are trying to figure out how do they, you know, how do they move forward in the business? And I, I've, I've heard a couple of people, I've had several founders reach out saying, oh, you know, I'm not being able to access these loans. And it's because they say, well, I need to service my existing debt. And so yeah. kind of rule number one of business is have your money make money, right? Like just, yeah. especially with loans, like you want to be able to see that, that churn and that, um, that turnover yeah. with it. Okay, so when um, when I think of everything that you've talked about for this episode, when we're talking about the pros of the um, of equity financing, it feels like to me one of the pros right off the top is the founder doesn't have to start repaying principal right away, right? They they have a little bit of a breathe they have breathing room before they have to start making any payments, unlike debt. Is that right? I want you. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. Because I mean, your equity is going in as cash into the company. Right. Right. So um, that actually, you know, with respect to an equity investment, it often increases your ability to leverage too as well. Right. So that you can take on more debt for your business if need be. Um, so there's, you know, equity is going in as shares. It's money going in. Um, you know, there's no. I mean, your repayment is essentially the exit strategy that you've negotiated you know, from the beginning, but you know that that's probably going to be eight years down the road. Um, yeah. Did I answer that question? Not yeah. Sure I, question well. I think so. I can, I'm sensing founders wheels kind of turning on that because you mentioned a really important point about leverage. So let me see yeah. if I'm this right. So when you get an yeah. equity partner that comes in, it's, it's um, altering your balance sheet because now your, your debt to equity is getting revised, right? Now you've got more equity to debt because this yeah. cash, this infusion came in. Exactly. Because that's what's happening on the balance sheet now. Now your, your, uh, your ability to access additional debt, should you need it, it, yeah. it grows. However, I would, I would assume that this is a conversation that any founder would need to have with the equity partner before they start. Yeah now going out to access debt no and i mean part of it like i said right is you have to have a growth a growth strategy 
right? Yeah. And so, yeah. and what's going to happen is when our money goes in, we're going to make sure we know where that money is going, right? So, you know, we like to come in when a company is expanding, right? So you've got an expansion. Um, let's say they're buying technology. Let's say they're, I can't, you know, they're doing whatever they are. Let's say marketing. Let's say they're hiring key employees. Mm-hmm. We want to see our money going in to those categories versus our money going in to pay off debt. So that's kind of, you know, my point is, is that we're going to be very prescriptive in terms of this is what the money is used for. It's not just money coming in. Right. Okay. So, uh, so the money it gets, uh, and I would imagine this is in the term sheet, just like you said, how the money gets used, right? Where that's going. But you, yeah. you've brought up this, uh, this interesting point that your balance sheet is now going to be altered because now you've got more equity than you have uh, debt in there. And you, you bring up an interesting point just too, just about just to sit on that for a second about a lot of tech based companies. And um, I think we've got one. No, I think we do have one really exciting story here in Saskatchewan, which was a service based business right, in the hair industry, and then she decided to take her expertise in that business and apply that to tech, right, which was about, we're just going to find ways to build formulations without, you know, people having to necessarily come into the, into the studio. So I know tech is a broad brush strokes, but um, there's lots of ways that you can apply technology to your, your passion. So the pros we've got, uh, obviously we're not getting stuck on principal repayments right away, that cash is in. Um, you also mentioned one of the other pros is it's not just money, it's expertise, it's mentorship, exactly. it's network, yeah. it's connections, yeah. it's potentially future support in the, yeah. in the, in the, um, in the situation where you might be in a jam, now you've got a support system to say, here's what's happening, but always stay on top of your numbers. So let's just talk about the cons. What are some of the things? Can I just add, can I interrupt? Because the one thing that I haven't raised, and it's something that I do, I should raise too, is is often sort of investors, if they're putting in a big enough check size and they're taking a big enough percentage of the cap table, so a big enough equity percentage of the entrepreneur's business, then they'll often ask for a board seat. And, you know, one of the things that we find absolutely, you know, in my mind um, is critical, uh, you know, with respect to companies is governance. And so what we always like to see with respect to entrepreneurs is, do you have a board in place? That's one of the the questions we always ask. If not, we're going to, with our money, there will be a board in place. So we do find that governance is absolutely critically important. So I would say that that's, you know, that's definitely a, uh, pro too as well because I think good governance makes good companies too. That is huge. I, I'm curious out of the questions or out of the founders that you meet with, how many actually have a board in place? What would that you rate know, look like out of ten? Yeah, I mean it depends. Again, early stage, I would say probably only half. Yeah, would. Um, but we do, as I said, it's a condition of our investment is that a, a board is put in place. Um, but you know, on the more established companies, they usually have a board. It might not be a huge board, but at least, you know, it, it, there is sort of that group that is, is there helping the entrepreneur. I, I love that. And we'll, we'll, cause I think that dovetails into cons as well, but before we get into that again, just, I know this is where founders sometimes have the resistance to go, you know, I started yeah. a business because I, this is what I want to do. It's my vision. This is what I want to build. Right. And then to have all these people saying, Oh, not a good idea. And you should zig and instead of zag. And, um, but I think the value in that is, I know the value in it is that um, now you've got all of this expertise around the table that's really providing intel around what are the best decisions to make on behalf of the business, not the owner, right? Yeah. The business. I mean, that's why yeah. big businesses have them. Yeah. And we've sort of seen, like I always say a great example kind of, you know, with respect to governance that we've seen in a company that is actually, you know, doing fantastic right now is Coconut Software. Mm -hmm. Um, When Catherine came to us originally, that was sort of her first raise, Um, you know, and I think she had a board in place, but they weren't meeting. Um, Anyway, we ended up coming in. Um, She ended up getting some really fantastic investors coming in. So we didn't end up taking a board seat because we didn't feel we could add value, you know, enough value, but she ended up, um, the investors that did come in, a couple of VCs and 
um, Neil Dempsey were just fantastic for her. So they, they sort of wrapped their expertise um, you know, kind of around that company. And it's absolutely amazing to see where she was when we first invested. And then now thanks to, you know, the awesome board of directors and the guidance and the support she's had through Neil Dempsey, it's just, yeah, it's unbelievable to see where she's at, you know, really like three, four years later. Yeah. So, what a great story. I, yeah. I think that serves as um, very powerful inspiration because it does take a village to build it does. a business, yeah. right? You're not an yeah. island. It, it just doesn't yeah. work. So yeah, and she recognized that too. She was actually profitable. It was interesting because when she came to us too, she wasn't sure, you know, she was just kind of getting her head around. She had met Neil Dempsey, you know, and I think she realized how much value he could bring to her business, but it was, it's just kind of interesting to see now, you know, just to see that whole mindset and the change and yeah. how and appreciative she is of that group of investors. No doubt. So yeah, again, the, the village and the family and people there to support you and really help you grow, unlike the debt financing, mm -hmm. right? This is like a yeah. group of people that are really, they're the wind wind beneath the wings, although they're the, the angels that are really there to help you flourish. So with that being said, you know, when we get into the cons, I know many founders start to think of, oh, but now I've got someone in my business. Yeah. Maybe run through the cons that you typically you know, you hear founders yeah. talk about. And so in terms of the cons, like what we hear from founders is, you know, I don't want to give up control of my company. Right. Um, so we do hear that quite frequently, but we don't see it that way. We see it like you had indicated already, like we are there to help your company grow. Um, and usually with the equity injection and with the expertise and mentorship, that gives you the ability to scale faster. And that's really what it's all about is you're going to get to the end game probably a lot faster mm. and you'll have a bigger pie, right? You know, it'll, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the end game there. So, yeah. so yeah, so we've heard that, um, you know, cons to, um, you know, I think, as I said, it's really careful that you get the right investor because we do hear sometimes entrepreneurs just saying, wow, they keep bugging me. You know, they're phoning me all the time, trying to find out what's going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of that that I've heard sometimes too, as well, but, you know, I would kind of come back to them, you know, and say, well, I mean, if you've got good governance in place, you know, and you're, you're communicating with your shareholders, you're, you know, sending updates, like some of our companies are just so good, like every quarter, right. They'll send a shareholders update. So the shareholders know what's going on. Right. Versus, um, you know, we don't hear anything for two years. And, yeah. you know, I think so there's there's a bunch of different things you can do. Um, yeah. Just to kind of protect your own time. And well, that's that's a great practice. I think just like you said, the communication, right. Understanding the terms up front, yeah. how often that yeah. investor is, you know, is expecting to hear from yeah. you. And you just to bring back something that you mentioned earlier, you know, um, bring it all out, bring all the, the dirty stuff out to the, okay. the forefront. And then okay. as you're in the process of building the business, there are ups and downs. And when you hit it down, yeah. don't yeah. go into dark mode. Don't go into silent mode. I agree. Mode, right? Yes. yes. We've seen that so many times, right? Where, um, yeah, the entrepreneur kind of will hit some speed bumps and not reach out to shareholders, you know, until it's maybe the crisis is even, you know, a thousand times worse where shareholders might have been able to help. Um, so, yeah, so please, like we said, we want, it's not just good. We don't want to hear just the good stuff. We want to hear the bad stuff too. We want to hear, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? You know, what speed bumps did you run into this last quarter? Like, you know, that's all critical because you never know when someone might be able to help you, right? Yeah. Like, unless you're communicating. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. Just like you yeah. said, it's a, it's a, it's a family, right? It, it, in many yeah. ways, it's like a, it's like a marriage and yeah. it's not all going to be uh, peaches and roses, right? Yeah. There's definitely yeah. going to be some, some, yeah. uh, some tough, uh, tough goes there. Yeah. So Lori, what I'm including um, here in this episode, we're going to do a, a startup cost template. So if somebody is starting up, they've got that. We're also going to do a cash flow. So oh, that good. cash flow forecast yeah. will show awesome. um, yeah. obviously top line, bottom line, and any sort of working yeah. capital needs. Cause I imagine Perfect. equity partners want to know that, right? Yeah. Where are you yeah, going to use yeah. it? 
And yeah. I'm also going to include a, a checklist on um, back from my days when I was adjudicating and, and uh, loans with Futurepreneur. It was, yeah. I think that was overwhelming for a lot of founders where they just didn't yeah. really understand how much information lenders actually want to see, whether it's debt or equity. Yeah. So I'm going to put that in there. But what I've really taken away from this, so, so much value. Thank you for, for investing and sharing your time this morning. Um, my, my big my big takeaway from this that I want to just kind of reiterate here is don't leave this to the last minute. I um, agree. Get these tools done, look at them. And Laura, you're yeah. saying ideally a year, if you can, a yeah. year to start planning, because you're still in the business yeah. too, right? So yeah. um, this isn't a quick fix solution. It's due diligence, take your time. They're going to take their time looking at everything. Yeah. Um, again, I so appreciate you you showing up and doing this episode with uh, with us, Lori. Thank you so so much. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, yeah, I, are you okay if we have your Definitely. contact information in the show below? Okay, so that's where yeah. we can find that. Yeah. And um, with that being said, then I I just want to thank our episode champions, Community Future Sunrise. They are debt lenders out there, um, but it sounds like debt and equity can coincide quite nicely. Everybody yeah. knows what piece of the pie they're working on and uh, and getting that support as necessary. So thank you, Community Futures, for all that you do. Lori, thank you so much for joining for the episode. So appreciate you and all that you do. And thanks for helping founders through this crazy time. And looking forward to seeing more Canadian success stories come out in the years to come. I agree. And thank you so much for having me. This was great. Always, always. All right. Thank you, founders. We'll see you in the next episode of The Gap Bye for now.